Isn't that our heart to be awakened? Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Turn to the next person and say, he's definitely talking about you. Wake up. It's time that we wake up. What a privilege. What a privilege to live in a day where we can study and we can talk freely about what God's up to. And I want to say thank you for being here today. And I have to say a thank you before I take another step forward. And that is thank you for last Sunday, the Pastor Appreciation Potluck. We had like 120 people there. And it was awesome. We ran out of food, which is a good problem to have. Sorry for Paul. He didn't get to eat, but I'm sure you took care of him later. But here's the deal. It was such a sweet time of fellowship. And what I appreciate, Melissa and others who set that up, is that it gave us an opportunity to connect with and talk to people that we normally don't get a chance to visit with. So it was such a blessing. So thank you for everybody. I'm clapping for you because you guys are awesome. So we're going to continue our series through Ephesians. And one of the, the topics we're going to talk about today, and again, we're talking about awaken. Even the last of that, this is awaken me. We want to be awakened to everything that God is about. You have to understand something. The biblical writers from the Old Testament in through the New, I mean, from the, from the table of contents to the concordance and maps, all, they, all of them had a biblical framework for an unseen realm. And you have to understand something. We have this mentality sometimes, well, this is America, it's, 2000, you know, it's 2019, and you know, we're civilized, and we're smarter. We've, you know, those are ancient thoughts and ancient beliefs. And you know what? If that was true, that'd be awesome. It's just not true. And so we who are followers of Jesus have to be aware. We have to be awakened that there is more going on, a meta-narrative, that's a big word that means a bigger story, a bigger picture. There's more going on than meets the eye. And we have to be awakened to that. And so can we pray together? I want to pray because this is a topic that we're going to dive into for the next two weeks, and you are going to be equipped to charge the gates of hell with a super soaker and not be afraid. Amen? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we step into this with no fear, just excitement, because this is good news just like everything else, because it is your word. Thank you for the biblical writers who had a framework for an unseen realm, not only the angels and the positive life-giving unseen realm, but there was a darker, more malevolent force at work and still to this day. But I am also grateful that we fight not for victory, but from victory. So we thank you that we stand in the finished work of Jesus, knowing that though it's finished, there is beautiful, honoring work for us to do, and it's a blessing and privilege. Father, open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may know truth, the truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. So we're going to talk about Awaken to Warfare. Uh, this will be part one. We're going to take two weeks to do this. And I don't know if you remember this book or not. How many of you read it? How many did it scare the bejeebies out of? Am I the only one? That book was uh, quite a book. Frank Peretti wrote a uh, brilliant writer. His descriptive power was like second only to Max Lucado, right? See what I did there? And uh, man, I mean, when he described the unseen realm and darkness, the book was called This Present Darkness. You may, if you did read, a lot of hands went up. I'm telling you, that book was an eye-opener, was it not? And what it did, it opened our eyes to the bigger story, the bigger story that's going on, the unseen realm. Michael Heiser wrote a book called The Unseen Realm, and that book is a very academic treatment. If you want to dive deep, go deep, you should get Michael Heiser's book. It's H-E-I or I-E. I never can remember. It's H-I-E or E-I-S-E-R. 
Michael Heiser, and the book is called Unseen Realm, The Unseen Realm. Powerful book. He has a book on angels as well. Very brilliant from a conservative standpoint, and yet great scholarship and honest biblical integrity. So, whereas this present darkness was fiction, but it was a story wrapped around truth, which was really incredible. As I read that book, this would have been, now the book came out in 1986, as you can see, over 2 million, 2.5 million were sold. So, I mean, we were gobbling that book up. But I'm telling you, it opened our eyes to something. And I remember being, uh, I was a student minister at a church, and um, it was a very conservative church in Central Texas and a very conservative denomination. That's all I'm going to say about that. So, when this book came out, we were all going, whoa, whoa, is there... Is there more that's going on? And we would read the Bible and go, apparently there is, but we don't talk about this. And I was in seminary at the time, and I'm just going to tell you, we didn't talk about this in seminary. We should have. Because for those of us who went into pastorates out of that season of life, we were not prepared for the onslaught of attack that was coming our way. There are people who think and say things like, gosh, I feel like I'm under attack. Chances are you are because you woke up and you have a pulse. Let me tell you how that works. And for example, uh, I love John, John Elder. He says, you were born into a world of war, a world at war. You were born that way. When you woke up and you were born again, you came into a world at war naturally, but when you were born again, you stepped in. That was your draft card. So for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, He's now the Lord of your life. You're following Him. You're a disciple of Christ. Guess what? That was your draft card. You signed it, and it was a draft into a war. But here's the beauty of it. We win. Isn't it fun to step into a war that you already know you're going to win? I remember being, playing baseball, and there were those games, when, man, when I was a part of the Coca-Cola Chiefs, come on, somebody, we were bad to the bone. Coca-Cola Chiefs, Lubbock, Texas, undefeated, 19-0 in Little League, Southern Little League in Lubbock, and I remember getting towards the end of that season, we were dominating everybody, and it just got fun because we would do stuff we normally wouldn't do because we knew we were going to win. So when I knew we were going to win, I would defy everything I was taught as a good baseball player, and that is... Hit the, you know, go for the percentage hit. Hit for the hole. Always, instead, it was like, no, swing for the fence, baby. Because we win. The game was a lot more fun when we knew we were going to win. So I'm up there just swinging myself out of my shoes, out of my cleats, because we won, and every once in a while, I'd connect. But the beauty of it was, is we knew we won the game, and it made the game a blast to play. It meant we tried things we normally wouldn't. Here, I want you to know something about your walk with Jesus. Yes, we are locked into a conflict. Yes, we are in a war that's very real. Yes, there are malevolent figures and a whole other cast of characters that are happening right now. And you think there's an empty seat in this room? Let me tell you, there are no empty seats in this room. There is a whole cast at work here messing with your mind, trying to steal the seed of the word that's getting planted in the soil of your heart. Read the parable of sower. The birds that came, that's a type and shadow of a demonic presence, trying to steal away. How many of you sometimes get to, get to lunch and you go, I don't even remember what we talked about. I can't remember that song. I can't remember, I can't remember anything about Sunday morning. Well, guess what? There is another force at work. And all of the biblical writers from the beginning to the end understood this unseen realm. They made room in their theology for a whole nother story happening. And we have got to awaken 
to this other story, this meta-narrative. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, look what he says. You were born into a world at war, and I love when he says this. You or we are not alone. Now, that can either be comforting or frightening. I'm just saying. Here's the beauty of this. Once you know who you are and whose you are, when you understand who you are in Christ, you will never be afraid of anything that goes bump in the night again. You'll never be afraid. You'll never have spiritual fear, so to speak. There is nothing to be afraid of. Let me tell you an example of this that I experienced. Let me just read the last statement. There's a cast of characters who are mostly unseen who are an integral part of your story. So when I was, um, gosh, I just read that book. In fact, it wasn't long because that book sort of shifted my filter where I was more aware of what was going on. And I started wondering about this other thing, this other narrative happening. And I remember we were at a July 4th picnic, this 11-year-old girl. We were having a blast, July 4th. About 60 of us showed up at this house, having a great time. This would have been about 18, or 18, well, I'm not that old, 1988, 89. And we hear this racket around the other side of the house. Kids are playing everything. Somebody got hurt. Ran around to the other side of the house. There's an 11-year-old girl on the ground, and she's flopping around like a fish out of water. My first thought was grandma seizure. The mom came running around. She was having a panic attack seeing her daughter in that condition. She was banging her head. She was kicking her eye. I mean, it was just it was horrific. And so we jumped, to tr- jumped around her to try to hold her down to protect herself, and we couldn't hold her. And her mother said, I said, is she epileptic? Does she have seizure? Her mother said, it would never, ever. This has never happened before. So here we have a first. And a lady who had moved to the town where we lived from Southern California and had been a part of a church called The Vineyard with John Wimber kneels down beside me, whispers in my ear, you know what this is. In my mind, I'm thinking, I would rather be ignorant right now because I had this incredibly strong sense that this was spiritual, not physical, not physiological. And then she leans over again and says, and God wants me to tell you, you know what to do. And I'm thinking, I didn't say it out loud, I'm thinking, uh, he hasn't told me yet because I don't know what to do. You have to understand, I came from a conservative denomination where there wasn't a lot of room in our theological boat for these kinds of experiences. So, you know, it's easy to say, well, I don't believe in that. But when it's happening in front of you, uh, you might have to have a gut check. Yeah, you, you cannot believe in something, but here's what the truth is. Just because you don't believe in something, <laughs> let me put it this way. The truth is not contingent on what you believe. Truth right. is truth. Yeah. Truth is truth whether you choose to believe it or not. So you can choose to ignore it, but you're like the ostrich who sticks his head in the ground. What's sticking up? Exactly. You're exposed. So here's the deal. I'm like, okay. So I, I just did the only thing I thought of to do in the moment, and I just said to her, no drama. And I looked at her, and I said, in the name of Jesus. And when I said that, her eyes turned right to me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, be still. And to my shock and awe, she went quiet and limp. She stopped. I was like, uh, you know, did that just happen? Have you ever done something and you wonder if that just happened? I was wondering, did that just happen? This was new. This was something I'd heard about, 
but had never experienced or seen in person, and now this happens. I won't finish the story this time. We'll finish it for another day. Suffice it to say, she was eventually freed, delivered, born again, and the guy who helped me is now a pastor in Oklahoma. At the time, he was a child protective services caseworker, but God uh, had a different plan for him. So we saw God work through that. There was more to that story. It's always more. But I'm telling you, I witnessed and experienced the power of God. And here's what's interesting. While that was happening, the only thing I was afraid of was my reputation and my job security. Because I was wondering, okay, what's the pastor going to think? What are these people going to think? But I tell you what, I did not have any fear of whatsoever, and that was the enemy that was behind this. No fear whatsoever. Interesting enough, from that day, I have never, ever been afraid of any demonic type of activity. None of that ever scares me. Because God did something in me where he literally clarified and defined my identity in Christ. And I realized it's not me. It's Christ in me who is the hope of glory. I'm not the hope of glory. It's Christ in me and through me. It's Christ in you and through you, the hope of glory. You never have to be afraid because we are not clawing for victory. We're fighting from victory. Does that make sense? We already won the game. So it makes it a lot of fun, actually. Amen. So listen to this, definite spiritual awakening. We've done this, so I'm not going to stay, spend time on this. It means to become fully conscious and aware of the truth that already is. A lot of times we're praying for revival, and we should. We're asking God to bring your Holy Spirit. Here's what happens. Newsflash, He already lives in you. There you go. Why do we need Him to bring the Spirit when we're already, we have the Spirit? Amen. There just needs to be a rethinking of what, how we define spiritual awakening. I need to awaken to all of that that God has provided for me in Jesus Christ. If He created Australia, He's pretty big. Amen? And he lives and dwells in each of us who have stepped over the line and been born again. That means we are packing heat and we have so much potential to shake kingdoms. And that is exactly what the devil is afraid of in you, is that you will finally, it will dawn on you one day who you are in Christ and he knows it's over. You never have to be afraid again. And I have to tell you, in 35 years of doing this full-time, I've got some stories. But you know what? I learned a long time ago. When we understand our identity in Christ, and we're walking in that, and we understand that, we're aligned with His Word and aligned with His will, aligned with His ways, we can step into arenas like that, and with a word, it can be over. So... We'll talk a little more about that as we go. Remember the, the whole theme of book of Ephesians. This is what's important to remember. I've, I've hit this so much, I don't want to overdo it, but I have to say this. Remember that Paul wrote this book from a Roman prison cell. Bill Gillum wrote a book called Lifetime Guarantee, and in the foreword of that book, it's a groundbreaking book, game changer, he makes this comment that he, this was his last book to write before he passed away. He was older and sick, and he passed after that. But he also said, if... If I could say anything in a book, I'm writing it in this book called Lifetime Guarantee. So it was like a manifesto. Everything he didn't write in other books or he wanted recapped, he put into one book. That's why that book is so powerful. 
And when I read his book, Lifetime Guarantee, I read it with the weight and gravity of knowing this man's dying, and he's saying, this is the last thing I get to say on planet Earth in a book form, so here it is. That means I read it with that filter. Now, Paul, sitting in a Roman prison cell, knowing that tomorrow or even this afternoon, a jailer, a centurion could come in and take him out, and he could be beheaded in, in 30 seconds. He knew this was it. It this could be the last thing he wrote. So he writes the book of Ephesians, which is not a book. It's actually a letter, a circular letter. He writes it, and he, he writes it with the weight and gravity of this could be the last thing I say. This is, in a sense, my manifesto. That's why the book of Ephesians is so powerful, and it covers so much territory in only six chapters. Now, mind you, he didn't write in chapters. He wrote with a, with a Greek and Aramaic bent, which meant he wrote in sections. And we came along later, divided it up into chapters in the way we think it should go so that we would have reference points when we're referring to Scripture. So no, he wrote this one long continuous letter. And then they circulated it among people. But read it with the weight and gravity that this was the last thing he knew he might say. By the way, he died... Scholars believe within one to three years of writing that letter. So what happened, happened. So when we read it, read it with that weight and gravity. So Paul's covered all kinds of things. But here's the main thing he's covered. I used to be this way, now I'm this way. And this is the central theme of the book of Ephesians. You were in sin, you were in iniquity, you were broken, you were shattered, you were in the flesh. But now in Christ, you're free. Now in Christ, you're seated in Him in heavenly places. Now in Christ, you're seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Now in Christ, the circumstances, you're not under them, you're over them. In Christ, I am. In Christ, I am. And we have something to help you with that. We only have a few left. I think there's some out there as well at the Connection Center. But these little bookmarks, Bill Lovelace produced for us, and we've given away over a 1,000 of these. I want to just get them out there. And all it is is Scripture turned into in Christ I am statements. And these are, these are things that you can read over yourself, declare over yourself. I'm going to talk more about that and when we get down to the how. This week, it's the wow. Next week in part two, it's the how. So do not miss next week. Invite your friends because people need to know how to fight the good fight of faith. You are not called to live in a defensive posture. You're called to live on the offense. So let's keep moving through this. So listen to this. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, as we pick up our narrative here. And Paul, again, he's addressed all these different things. Now he comes to this issue of an unseen realm and an unseen enemy that is at work. This is the cast of characters that are at work. And here's what he says. Finally, now remember... This being one of the last things Paul ever wrote, not knowing if he was going to die, he comes to the end of it and he says, finally. And much like most preachers, he has a whole other chapter to write, right? Here we go. Finally and then later. And then finally again. And for my third closing, listen to what he says. Finally, be strong in your flesh. Somebody check me up, please. Be strong in in the Lord. The word strong there and also the word in his mighty power there. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Both of those words are two different words, but they mean the same thing and they literally mean violent force. He's not saying just, hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, son. You know, get up, get her done, cowboy. He, he's saying, you be strong 
in the Lord's mighty power because his power is enough. His grace is sufficient. Everything you have been equipped, and you, my friend, every one of you who know Jesus, you are packing heat. You are packing. I'm telling you, you concealed carry, who cares? I mean, right now, you got more spiritual authority. The word is exousia, and it literally means conferred authority. Did you know that you walk in the authority of heaven and that you can walk into a room, speak into the atmosphere, and change atmospheres just by your words? Because your words are power containers when you understand your identity and when you understand your authority. Look what he says. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Boy, right there, he just sets it straight. This is not about you. It's about the Lord and his power. He says this. Put on the full armor of God. Now, Paul's hearkening back to two images. One is the Old Testament. I mean, you're talking about the, the Philistines. We're talking about the Amalekites, the Perizzites, all of those different groups that they warred over and against to inherit Remember God said, I'm giving you the promised land. It's a land you know, flowing with milk. And remember that? Yeah. But did you know that even though the Lord gave it to them, they still had to step into that territory and fight? That's the Old Testament type and shadow of what we see in the New Covenant as well. It's the same principle. Look what happens. Why would he be telling you to do this if there wasn't a fight to be fought? Why would he talk about armor? Look what he says. Put on... The full armor, not partial. Do you know a lot of people put on the helmet of salvation and they stop there thinking it's good enough? Hey, I got saved. I got dunked in a hot tub. Woohoo! Man, I, I'm born again. I got a certificate. I got a baptism certificate and a picture on Facebook. So I am, I am born again. And they stop with the helmet of salvation and ignore the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feed shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's evangelism. And then they forget about the shield of faith, which, by the way, was no tiny, uh, you know, Tupperware container dish. <laughs> We're talking about a shield. It was a body shield. And we talked about the sword of the Spirit. Interesting about the sword, the sword that he's talking about here is actually a very small sword. It's like the Romans carried, and it's a sword that's small and short, and it's meant for close in combat, hand to hand. And by the way, he says, that sword... That short dagger, that is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And this is the equipment. He says, put on the full armor of God, not partial, not just a little bit. And by the way, we'll talk about this next week, so I'm not even going to go with the by the way. Moving right along. Put on the full armor of God. We'll save that for next week. So that you can take your stand. The word stand here means to literally be planted, rooted, or established. To take... That means you can stand. You can stand and you are unmovable. You are unshakable. Yes. There you, go. you cannot be moved off of it no matter what comes your way. Why? Because you have a full arm. You have the full confidence in what you're doning. Sword, shield, helmet, breastplate of righteousness. You've got it all. You're completely covered. Head to toe. You can't have one without the other. The whole, it's complete, and you are unmovable. You can take your stand against what? The devil's, call it what it is, the devil's schemes. By the way, that word scheme, it can mean strategy, but really more accurately, it means deception. Do you know that the greatest weapon the enemy has against you are lies? 
And why do we know that? Well, first of all, we know that Jesus took the keys of the kingdom and he took them away from the enemy. We also know that Jesus defeated the devil on the cross subsequently in the resurrection. Amen? Amen. We also know, according to Colossians, that he has literally disarmed principalities, powers, and dominions. He's disarmed the enemy. The only thing the enemy has left is the power of deception over your life. And that word scheme, that is that word. He says, the enemy is going to bring lies your way, and you've been given the full armor of God so that you can stand unmoved in the face of lies. That famous line from that amazing movie, Elf, (laughs) where he says, Buddy the Elf says, you sit on a throne of lies. Let me tell you something. The enemy, our enemy, reality, sits on a throne of lies. And the only power he has over you is when you believe or accept the lie. Let me tell you something. The voices you're hearing in your head when you look in a mirror or when you think about your past or think about your life, listen, the enemy has a tremendous ability to mimic our own voice. And there are a lot of times when you think, I'm thinking this, I've got this, I'm warring, I'm fine. That is not your voice. John Eldridge does a great thing in talking about breaking agreements. He says, when you find yourself making an agreement with a lie, you literally are enacting a covenant with the enemy. It's like you're shaking hands with, oh, yeah, okay, I agree. There's power in agreement. The word says we're two on earth, agree, as touching anything. When we step into that realm and we agree, with, oh, yeah, I'm stupid. Oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm so dumb. I'm too stupid to live. I mean, that's the inner voice, the inner monologue, but it sounds a lot like us. But when we agree, we lock into a covenant with the enemy, and we actually empower that lie. And it begins to have force in our lives. It begins to have an impact, an effect on us. And we begin to act out of that as though it's true, even though it is a scheme. It's a lie. As you sit right there, let me ask you a question. No hands, just between you and Jesus. Do you think that through your lifetime of walking with Jesus, you have bought into some lies? How about the lie that you're unworthy, that you're not good enough, that you'll never make it, that you'll always fail, that life will never get better than it is now? That is a lie from the pit of hell. I call that out in the name of Jesus. That is a lie over your life. That life will never get better than it is today. That is a lie. In, 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 in sociological terms, we call that fatalism. It's a mentality that this will never get better. So why try? Just give up. You wonder why people don't move out of Harlem and Compton? It's because they have bought into a lie that it'll never get better than this. And they are in a trap. They're entrapped in their own prison because they believe the lie. Here's the scary thing about lies. Even though it may not be true, if you believe it's true, you'll act out of that as though it is true. So it'll impact behaviors. It'll impact your thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks and lies come out when you believe it because we leak out what we're full of. And as you believe and as you receive and as you walk in covenant with the enemy and all the while you think it's just you thinking this. Here's what John Elders, he gives a great tool for this. Simply pause and say, Jesus, where is this coming from? Oh, let me tell you, all you need is give Jesus a little, just a crack. 
Just crack the door open just a little bit, and he will come in like a flood. He will bring light into darkness, and light always expels darkness. Can I get an amen? Amen. Are you with me, church? Come on. We've got to quit fighting on the ropes and get on the offensive because we are packing heat, and we have exousia, authority. We have power. We've been enabled with dunamis. You know where we get the word dunamis? We've transliterated that into dynamite. It means force. And that is what you have in Christ. That is yours. And, you're, and some of you are sitting there going and arguing with me right now mentally. Where's that coming from? Who told you that? Who lied to you? Could we just get in line with this book? Just line up with this. This is not rocket science. This isn't even deep theology. Just get in line with the basics here of, oh my gosh, in Christ I'm free. And, oh, the truth will make me free. Free. Oh, so that means I'm free already? You mean I'm not in... Whoa, wait. No one told me that. Yes, they did. You're free. Listen to this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's lies, deceptions. Look at this one. We'll have two more verses. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Right there is a clue. There you go. That person that you're mad at who betrayed you, who slandered you, who gossiped about you, is not your enemy. Amen. There is another cast of characters behind that. I've lost count probably hundreds of people that I've taken through various aberrations of deliverance. In the early days, it was full on. Boy, once I got a taste, I was like, let's go. We people can be free? What? Seriously? So, I mean, I was in the old school Pentecostal stuff. It was like crazy. It's like exorcist stuff. I'm like, okay, this can't be healthy. So I learned and grew and matured through things and found other more therapeutic-based approaches like theophostics and sozo. And now I've got a sort of a mix of all of those, and I've taken hundreds of people through this, and I've watched people get set free by truth. Listen, it's not as much a power encounter as it is a truth encounter. It's the truth that sets us free. The Bible doesn't say power sets you free. Dunamis sets you free. Dunamis may heal you. It may give you a breakthrough. But it's truth that sets us free. We need a truth encounter, not so much a power encounter. Amen. Here's what's beautiful. Is you know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the what? Truth. You have truth. You got biggie-sized when you got born again. You didn't, get, you didn't get the small, cheap version, the dollar menu at McDonald's. You got the full meal deal. You got a Ruth Chris steak. Come on, somebody. You got the full thing. When you stepped into Jesus, you got everything you need and everything you have, everything that's in you, everything you need to fight the good fight of faith, He lives in you. You are so packing heat. You're like a walking atomic bomb and don't even know it. You're like a hydrogen bomb that's just waiting for the enemy to set off. And you don't even know it. And if you don't know it, what you don't know can hurt you. What we don't know can hurt us. And my heart is to see a church, family, equipped to win, to fight from the winning point, the standpoint of victory, not clamoring for it as though we don't have it. In Jesus, you win. You already have it. 
That's why my prayer for spiritual awakening is, Lord, awaken us to what already is, the truth that sets us free, the truth that's already in us. Listen to this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual gift called the discerning of spirits. We sometimes lapse it over and over. Oh, I have discernment. I have discernment. I have discernment. Wait a minute. Don't misuse the Scripture. It literally says that gift, it's one of the nine manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit, is a gift for discerning spirits. That means you're able to see behind the veil. That's as though as somebody's standing here looking at you, slandering you, you don't see them. You see behind them and what is motivating and driving them. That is the discerning of spirits. You see something behind them. You know what that does? That creates a capacity for you to not have contempt for that individual, but to love them. Why? Because it's really not them. They may be participating. They may be deceived because there's a scheme. The enemy's smart. But it's not them. And when you get a hold of that, it sets you free to love somebody who's standing in your face, slandering you. And you can just go, I so love you. That's all right. Listen, here's what you can't do anything about. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. That's the power of seeing behind the veil, understanding this unseen realm. There's a cast of characters driving all this relational conflict of course the enemy's going to attack relationship. That's the reason you were created. Did you know that, church? God says, let us make man in our own image. I, need, I want somebody to hang out. I want to create a whole race of people that we can love and that will love us. And we're going to create them in our, the Imago Dei, the image of God. We're going to create them in our image so we can enjoy one another when things went a little south. We've been gaining ground and getting back ever since Jesus reconciling us back to the Father. Now the plan's working. We are reconciled to the Father. And here's the beauty of it. Doesn't it stand a reason that if we were created for a relationship, the thing that is most attacked in your life, it's not your job. It's not your, it's not your play. It's not your stuff. It's not your tire blowing out and your refrigerator breaking. It's the relationships of your life are under assault. Because that is the very reason you were created. Does it not stand a reason that's what the enemy would come after? And the day we figure out that there's something going on behind that, it's not that person, it's something. We move from contempt to compassion, and we realize, oh my gosh, I feel terrible for them. They're being used by the enemy for destruction. Can we have our worship team go ahead and make your way up? Here, look at this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Look at this. This is a hierarchy of demonic powers. These are not government structures in the natural. These are actually spiritual government structures. Do you understand that the natural and the spiritual parallel one another? There's rain in the spirit. There's rain in the natural. There's government in the spirit. There's government in the natural. There's government in the dark, and there's government in the light. And they, he's setting up, and Paul is not the first time he's addressed this. He addressed it in chapter 1, also in the book of Colossians. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly. That's a lot of wickedness right there. Look what he's saying. Rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're talking about... The dark kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, is stacked with hierarchy that speaks to lots of them. Yeah. 
You do know the word legion means 6,000 to 12,000 troops, right? When Jesus called that one out and said, who are you? He said, we are legion. He's talking six to 12,000 demonic spirits and one human individual. And Jesus was not daunted one bit. Jesus did not fear them. They feared him and begged him, can we just go get in, a, in that herd of swine over there? Can we just go get in those pigs? Just, they, were, they were fearful of Jesus. But let me tell you something. You know what they're fearful regarding you? That you will figure this out. That's what they're afraid of. Last one. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, Paul says, finally, he gives a summary statement about this war that we're in, and then he says this, therefore. Do you need to know what the therefore is there for? He's saying, look, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, he's already identified the day of evil, we're in it. This is that dispensation. We're in it. You may be able to stand your ground. That means to be established and unmovable. And after you have done everything, you stand. This is the call on your life. It's to stand and to not be bullied by the enemy, who the Bible calls in the book of John, chapter 8, he was a murderer from the beginning, a liar, and the father of it. The enemy is called the father of lies. The word devil, Satan, literally means slanderer, deceiver, liar. It's his very nature. His name follows his nature. That is who we're up against. But good news, we win. We win. So don't get taken out in the meantime. Don't succumb to what the enemy is throwing your way. Next time you hear those voices, Lord, where's this coming from? He'll tell you. He'll shine light on it. Now, this week was the wow Next week is the how. So I want you to come back. I want you to bring somebody. Bring some. We need to know this, family. You want to win? You want to not feel like you've got to call sometime, somebody every time a bump goes in the middle of the night? Do you want to believe that you don't have to have somebody come pray over your house because you have the authority to do it yourself? That you can take authority over your children, over your situation, over your workplace, over the atmosphere in which you live, work, and play? If you want that, come next week. We're going to give you the how-to Walk in authority, because this authority is yours in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. As we land the plane here with prayer and worship, we're going to invite our prayer team to come up front here. And listen, our prayer team is equipped to pray with you and for you, and to hold up your arms in a very real sense and fight the good fight of faith. But here's the deal. If you've never stepped over the line to go all in with Jesus, I want to invite you to take a step. I want to invite you to step over the line and say, I'm going to go all in because whatever's going on in my life, it's not working for me. Let me tell you something. We know somebody who can help you, and his name is Jesus. You've never stepped over the line, never given your heart to Jesus. I want to invite you to come forward. Or if you know Jesus, but you're still, you're still drowning. You're like Peter who you know, tried to walk out on water, and the first sign of storm, he just sunk. And he said, Jesus, help me. You know what Jesus did? He helped him. Simplest prayer in the Bible. Maybe you just need help. We're here for you. We love you. We love you.
Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you have equipped us, you have empowered us. Now, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to literally put on the full armor, not just the helmet of salvation, but all the pieces of the armor that we may truly stand and be unmoved and fight the good fight of the faith. Thank you that it is a good fight because we win. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, we love you and honor you. Everyone said amen. Let's worship our way out today.